Recovery can be a long and scary process, but the only way to begin is with repentance. This is the second message in the series, Recover. The message is entitled, Repent. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're talking about the power of recovery. We're believing that 2021 is going to be a year of recovery in our lives. This is a very important word, and I, I believe that God has given us something as we're moving into this new season that will be extremely important and valuable for us, not only for this year, but for the years to come. Now, the word recovery in and of itself is a very powerful word because it talks about getting back things that were lost or getting back things that have been forfeited or destroyed or stolen in some way. It's bringing something back, a recovery process. Even when you're sick, there's recovery back to health again. And so the word has lots of different meanings. And as we talked about last weekend, in fact, I hope that you um, uh, were part of the message last weekend. If not, go online at church-redeemer.org and, and go back to that message and review it. It'll be very valuable to today's message and the following messages in the series. But we talked about the fact that everyone, all of us, you, me, everybody, is in need of some kind of recovery in our lives. There's not a single person that is completely whole. We need to recover some things that we've lost along the way, some things the devil has stolen from us in our journey, some things that we have forfeited along the way by our own mistakes and failures, and perhaps some things that have atrophied in our lives that need to come back to strength and health again. But recovery is God's will for your life. And you and I will never experience recovery unless we choose to go after it. And so that's what this series is all about. How do you and I go after the recovery that God wants to bring to us? How do we go after and receive again back those things that we've lost or forfeited or things that have been destroyed or stolen or things that have deteriorated or atrophied in our lives. How do those come back to us, but not just back? Remember, this series is entitled Recovery, not just the way back, but the way back to better. I don't want things to just come back. I want things to come back better. And I believe that that's God's will. He's always making things better in our lives. And so we're believing that 2021 and in the years to come, God wants to do a work of recovery in each of our lives that will bring us back, not just back, but back to better. Last weekend, I laid a foundational message related to this whole idea of recovery. And, and I, t I promised you that over the next seven weeks, beginning now today and this weekend and moving through six more weekends after this, I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the seven steps to recovery. What steps do you take to experience the kind of recovery that God has planned and wants to bring to your life? It's God's will that you experience recovery, but we have to engage in that process. And so I'm going to lay out for you these seven steps. Week by week, we'll look at these different aspects of what God is calling each one of us to do. Now, this is why it's so important that you stay with me through the entire series, because they build on each other. You can't recover without actually engaging in all seven of these things that we're going to be talking about. And I want to talk today about the first, first step in this process of recovery, and I want to talk to you about a very important word, and that is the word repent, R-E-P-E-N-T, repent. The Greek word is the word metanoia. It's a word that has a lot of different meaning to us, and we're going to get into the concept of the word in a few moments and what it actually means in our lives and what the step actually is uh, toward recovery. But the very first step, the entrance ramp to every good thing that God will ever do in your life. Let me say that again. The entrance ramp to every good thing that God will ever do in your life starts with repentance. 
That's how it all begins in the Bible. In fact, if you study, especially in the New Testament, you'll see that everything that God did in people's lives started with repentance. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus the Messiah to come by preaching repentance. He called people to repentance. When Jesus started his ministry and began to preach, the Bible says the first thing that he preached was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is, God wants to bring his kingdom rule to your life, but it starts with repentance. And you can go all the way through the book of Acts and study the early church and the messages that they preached time and time again. And oftentimes you'll find that most of those messages will begin at least with the theme of, if not necessarily specifically the word of repentance. That if God's going to do something in your life, God starts in that work in your life through this thing called repentance. And so it is the entrance ramp to recovery. Do you want to recover? Do you want recovery in your life? Do you want to recover the things that you have lost, the things that have been destroyed, the things that the adversary has stolen from you? Do you want your life to experience God's recovery? It begins. The entrance ramp, the ramp, the first step is the step called repentance. Now, I'm going to talk uh, today about uh, really three things. I'm going to try to answer three questions for you so you'll clearly understand this step in your life. I'm going to answer the question, what is repentance? So we need to fully understand what it is according to the Bible. And then why is it important? Uh, Not just the what, but the why. So why is it so necessary? What's the value of it in our lives? And then the how. How do we actually repent? So what? What is repentance? Why? Why do we need to do it? And how? How do we actually engage in the process? So let's begin with this first question. The first question is, what is repentance? And here is your answer. On your notes, you'll find these words for you. Repentance is this. It is an awareness, a desire, and a decision that leads to change. Notice three things there. It is an awareness. It is a desire. It is a decision that leads to, here's another big word, that leads to change. We might want to insert there positive change, godly change in your life. Now, let's, let's break these three things down. Awareness, desire, and decision. Awareness. I want you to think with me for a moment. What, what is the key? What is one of the keys for the decisions that you make in life? Quite often, the reason we make certain decisions is because of awareness, For example, until you're aware of some sickness in your body or some disease that you're facing in your physical being, you will not pursue a doctor or healing. It is the awareness of the symptoms, the awareness of the disease that leads you to a cure. Until you're aware of important information as you're about to make a decision, you will often be misinformed and you'll make a poor decision because you're not not aware of the facts. And so awareness of certain facts leads to better decisions. It leads to something valuable in your life. The same is true with your personality. If you're not aware of your personality issues or your character flaws, you'll never improve yourself. And so your improvement at a personal level requires an awareness of things that need to be improved upon. And the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God, that until we're aware of where we're missing the mark with God, until we are aware of the things that we're doing that are actually contrary to, opposite of what God says in His Word and what God has given to us based upon what His will is for our lives, we will continue to live in them. And so awareness is the key to change. If you don't have awareness, you're never going to change. Jesus said it this way in in John chapter 8, verse 32. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will, you can complete that with me, the truth will do what? It will set you free. You will know the truth. You'll become aware of the truth. The truth will become real to you. It will become something you'll understand. You will know the truth. You'll become aware of the truth, and that awareness of the truth will lead you to the steps necessary to experience freedom. So you must know something before you do something differently. If you don't know it, you're not going to do it differently. You must know something before you change. So repentance is all about making us aware of our need to experience change in our lives, to be changed and to choose to change. Knowing the truth leads to us then desiring, as we'll talk about in a moment, the the change that is necessary. Now, how does God make us aware of those things that we need to repent of? Well, He makes us aware by the presentation and the reading and the communication of His Word. So His Word is truth. And so the more we get into this book, it opens up our eyes. We become aware of things that we were not aware of before. You probably had that experience in your own life if you've studied the Bible at any point in time, that you read a verse and you said, my goodness, I've never seen that before. And it said something to you that you'd never understood. There was an awareness that came. It was a revelational moment that came to your life. And then that revelation of the Word leads to the convicting work of the Spirit. It's when God begins to say, you know what you need to make that change in your life. What I've said here needs to apply to you in here. And so the Word, the awareness through the reading or the preaching or the teaching of God's Word, you see truth, and then truth says, oh my goodness, this is something I need in my life, and you have that that pricking of the heart, that sensitivity that says, this is something that I need to address. There's usually a, a bit of sorrow that you feel when you realize that you're out of line with what God says He wants for your life, and then that leads to your response, and you will either listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your conscience and respond the right way or you will push him away. And then when you push, if you push him away, it hardens your heart to what God wants to say to you in the days to come. And so rejecting truth, rejecting awareness, and rejecting the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is a dangerous thing to do. But the right thing to do is say, yes, God, I I hear what you're saying. I'm aware of what you're trying to communicate to me. I feel the conviction, and now I'm going to respond to your truth. Now, let me Take us now to the second word that's associated with repentance. So first is awareness, but awareness leads to desire. I'll say that again. This is what repentance is all about. Repentance is not God sitting up in heaven trying to make you feel miserable about your life and all the bad things you're doing. That's not not how God operates. God wants us to be aware of those things that are sinful in our lives and that need to change. He wants to get our attention about those things, but He doesn't do so to condemn us. He does not do so to bring us into despair or to bring us into a place of just simply feeling bad about ourselves. No, He he, he makes us aware of things to produce in us a desire, notice that word, a desire to change. See, repentance says, I'm not happy about my life. I'm not happy about the way I'm living. I want to to line up my life with God's Word and with God's will. So there is a desire. I want to is important. So repentance produces a want to. I want to change. Awareness leads to desire. 
See, repentance, genuine repentance, people have a wrong attitude at times about it, wrong perspective, I should say, about it. They they think it's just feeling bad or feeling sorry about something. And usually that's just like for a brief moment, I kind of felt bad about it, then I go on with my life as usual. No, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is an awareness based upon the truth of God's Word, a response to it by conviction in your heart, and response to say, yes, Lord, I now desire a change in my life. So notice these three things, awareness desire, and then comes the third thing, that is decision. So there are a lot of folks, if you don't have all three of these, you don't have repentance. Because the awareness and the desire, I have a desire to do lots of things. How about you? I have a desire to lose some weight. Doesn't mean I will ever, ever will. I have the des- desire to do lots of different things. But if the desire doesn't turn into a decision, the process is not complete. And so real repentance, what is it? It is an awareness of those things that God wants you to address in your life that then produces not condemnation and not a feeling of being miserable about it. You'll feel sorry for where you are, but you want to change. There is a desire. And then you start making decisions that actually change the way you're living your life. So awareness, desire, and decision. Say that with me. Awareness, desire, and decision. That's what repentance is. God making you aware of things that he wants to work on or change in your life, an area where he wants to adjust your life, an area where he wants to bring some recovery to your life, and then a response of you saying, yes, God, I see this, I desire this, and then making the decision to start the process of change, leaving some things behind and pressing to some things that will be new in your life, turning away from sin and turning toward God. Another way to describe repentance, the end result of repentance, is you actually do a 180 in your life. You're going one direction, and now you turn because God brings an adjustment, and you now start going the other direction in your life, the direction that God says is His way of living. And even when God does it, you don't have to even understand everything God's trying to tell you to do or adjust in your life. You just simply know, I need to make this adjustment. Now let's go to the why question. That was the what question. What is repentance? Awareness that leads to a desire, that leads to change, leads to a decision. You haven't completed the cycle, you haven't completed the circuit of repentance without all three of those things. Number two, why is repentance important? The reason that repentance is important is because here's the answer to that question. Repentance aligns your life with God. It aligns your life with God. Why is it important? Because we need our lives to be aligned with God. Now, why do we need our lives to be aligned with God? Well, first of all, because we owe that to God. He created us. We would not even be here had it not been for a God that brought us into this world and gave us life itself, and God is our creator, and so repentance is important because at the very basic of basic levels, God deserves our obedience. God deserves our submission. Anything less than our submission or surrender or or obedience to God should grieve us because it grieves God, and yet there's another aspect of this that I want to draw your attention to. It's really the positive side of the why of repentance. Why do we need to repent? Become aware, decide to change a decision that's there. An awareness out of desire to change, then a decision to do so. Why? Because it brings us into alignment with God. When we make those choices, when we respond to God's truth, with a desire to change and then take the steps toward change, we begin to align ourselves with God. Now, in any relationship, think with me for a moment, in any relationship, 
Whatever, a friendship, a marriage, whatever it might be, a work relationship, there's nothing better than alignment. There's nothing worse than the absence of alignment. When you're in alignment with another person, it is a wonderful thing. Just think about human relationships for a moment. When you're in alignment with your, your spouse, it's a tremendously positive thing. When you're aligned with your friends and aligned with those that you're working with, it is a wonderful thing that happens in our life. This is why the Bible so often warns us about the dangers of things like division and strife and disharmony, and, and the Bible points us to the power of unity. Let me give you a few of these verses, and then we'll bring it back to its application. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to how Paul writes to the believers at Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, all of you come into alignment with one another and what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He's talking about human relationships and alignment. Mark 3, 25. Jesus said this, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So true. You get a house that's all divided, everybody doing their own thing, going their own way, all kind of mixed values and mixed priorities in relationships. It's not going to stand the test of time, the test of circumstances. And so there needs to be alignment. Psalm 133, I love this passage, the first three verses. Actually, it's the entire passage, actually the entire psalm. The Passion Translation, how truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity or in alignment. It is as precious as the sacred scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. This heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. For, for from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. Now, all of these verses that I've just read, yes, they apply to human relationships. But here's my, my proposition to you today. If human harmony, if human alignment is so important to God, how much more so is our harmony or our alignment with God important to Him and important to us? If God says, get along with people, He certainly wants us to get along with Him. He certainly wants us to be aligned with Him. And so, actually, the reality is the more aligned we are with God, the more aligned we will be with people. You want a better marriage? Have a better relationship with God. You want better friendships? Have a better relationship with God. You want to have a better work environment? Have a better relationship with God. Because in alignment with God, alignment comes in the other relationships of our life. Now, here's the thing to remember. God is perfect. There's not a, simp not a single thing that God needs to change. He says, I'm the Lord, I change not. He doesn't need to change. You don't change perfection. And so when alignment is needed, it's not needed by God. God doesn't align to us. We align to Him. He's the standard. He's the measurement. He is perfection. And so when we measure ourselves with God, the adjustment is not with God, the adjustment is with us. And so repentance is necessary because it brings us in alignment with God. It is the process that brings us to be aligned with Him, and all things benefit from alignment. As I was studying for this message, I actually uh, I thought about just your automobile. 
And uh, many people talk about getting your front end aligned, the wheels in your car aligned, and so forth. And so I just did a little reading on that. I came across an article that, that talked about six benefits of having your car, your wheels on your car aligned. Let me give them to you, and then we'll bring them over into our spiritual life. First of all, it increases fuel efficiency. Second of all, it it reduces expensive auto repairs. Thirdly, it produces smoother driving. Fourthly, it improves safety. And then fifthly, it increases the life of your tires. All of these things, these five things that are listed here, they're beneficial for your car. Now think about it for, for us. In our lives, when you and I are aligned with God, it saves energy in your life. It reduces the repairs that are necessary in your life. It makes your life a whole lot smoother. It secures and protects your life. It produces greater longevity for your life. The applications are obvious. Repentance brings us into alignment with God. And when you're out of alignment with God, I'll tell you something, it's a rough ride. It's a very rough ride when you're out of alignment with God. Proverbs speaks of this. In Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful the way of the person who is out of alignment with God, the way of the unfaithful is hard. It is a tough ride when you're out of alignment with God. There's a big positive why to repentance. Why should you and I repent? Because it produces alignment with God, which is a very desirable thing. We all need that in life and benefit from it. Now let's go to the third and final question today. How? You say, well, pastor, I understand what repentance is now. I, you gave me those three words. I, I get it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awareness that leads to a desire, that leads to a decision. I get that part. And now I understand why. It gets us in alignment with God. And alignment with God is the best way to live your life. Yeah, I get that. But how? How do I do it? How do we repent? Here's the answer to that. I'm going to break it down for you uh, in, in some subpoints in just a moment. But the basic answer to that is this. Repentance is something you do. Repentance is something you do. Let me explain that for you. It's important to understand that we have a personal responsibility when it comes to repentance. When John the Baptist preached, preparing the way for Jesus to come, he preached these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to make a choice to repent. When Jesus started preaching in his ministry, he preached over and over again, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's your responsibility, my responsibility to engage in repentance. Repentance isn't something God does for us. Repentance isn't something that someone else can do for you. You can't wait around and hope that somebody else does. You're repenting for you. That doesn't happen. Repentance is something that you and I are responsible for doing ourselves. It's something that God says, this is something you must do. No one else can do this for you. And to understand how, you have to understand that it's yours and my responsibility to do it. We can't push it off and say, well, you know, God didn't do this or somebody else didn't do this. It's our responsibility to repent. And let me share with you six things that are essential in the how process if you want to do this in your life. And remember, repentance is the entry ramp into recovery. It's being aware of things that God is trying to talk to you about in your life that need to change. And then not just feeling bad about it, but desiring to change and then making the decision to do the things necessary to change, knowing that God will give you the power that is needed for that. But here are the six things that you you and I have to do to get to that repentance for it to become real in our life. This is the how that applies to us. Number one, you got to stop blaming other people. 
You have to stop blaming other people for your problems. I'm going to come back to this, uh, some of these points that I'm going to be sharing with you right now and expand upon them uh, more in, uh, in, in more in depth uh, later as a part of this series. But I do want to touch on them right now. You have to stop blaming other people. So many times we want to say, my problem is that person's fault. My area of recovery that I need in my life, it, w- it wouldn't be an issue if it weren't for that set of circumstances or that group of people or that other person there that did this to me. And so there's a tendency that we have to blame our problems on something or someone else. When David realized his need for recovery after his tremendous moral failure with Bathsheba, he writes a, a, a psalm that is a very powerful psalm, but I want you to notice how David takes responsibility for his mistake. He writes these words, have mercy on me. Notice the personal pronoun, me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out. Notice he said, my transgressions, not somebody else's. He wasn't blaming Bathsheba. He wasn't blaming somebody else. He was blaming himself. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is all always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David said, you know, God, it's really not about anybody else right now. It's really about me. I'm not coming to you with a blame orientation, and I promise you, you will never recover if you spend your life blaming other people. It's just not going to happen because your focus is in the wrong, in, in the wrong place. That leads to the second thing that repentance is all about. How do you do it? You've got to stop not only blaming other people, but stop judging other people. Judging as you've formed an opinion in your mind about people and their, their, their effect upon your life or, or some aspect of their life that you now have put something on them and your focus is not on you anymore. Your focus is on them. They need to change. Not only are you saying, are they at fault, but they're the ones that need to change. I don't need to change. They need to change. How many times have we gone through our lives and we focused our attention upon somebody else that we think needs to change. We don't really think about where, where I, you, we need to change in our lives. And Jesus was very clear about that. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says these words, passion translation, refuse to be a critic, full of bias toward others. And judgment will not be passed on you. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. What is Jesus saying? Jesus says, get your eyes off of the issues and other people's lives. Get your eyes on the issues in your life. You will never experience repentance if you're in a mode of blaming people. That's how you live your life. I'm just blaming them. It's their fault. You'll never experience repentance. That's the entry ramp to recovery. If you're always judging other people, they're the one that needs to change, not me. I don't have the issues they do. And then thirdly, you have to stop justifying your sin. Repentance will never happen in your life if you're justifying your sin. What does it mean to justify your sin? It's to find some reason 
why whatever you're doing is okay. We all have the tendency to want to justify the things that are wrong in our lives, that we want to come up with reasons. Well, well, it's okay for me, or it's okay for this reason. And so we justify the bad patterns and the habits of our life that are detrimental to our spiritual journey and that are opposite of God's ways. We justify them, and we make them okay for us. Well, it may not be okay for them, but it's okay for me. It's, it's okay. I have a reason for this in my life. Proverbs 14, 12 says, you can rationalize it all you want and justify the path of error you have chosen, but you'll find out in the end that you took the road to destruction. You can say, you can do that all day long, justify and rationalize what's going on in your life and say, hey, I've got reasons for it. But the Bible says it still will lead to the road of destruction until you stop the rationalization and the justification. And then repentance requires us to humble our heart. It's coming to that place of saying, God, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting all this stuff aside, my blame and my justification and my judgment of other people and how I feel like they need to change and it's all it's their fault, it's not my fault and all these feelings that I have and God, I'm just not coming to you at all. You know, it's really about me. That's humbling. It's really about where I'm at with you. And all of us, as I talked about last week, every one of us, the reason that we don't move forward in recovery at times is because we're not willing to repent. We're not willing to come to this step. It's a hard step. It's not easy. It's not easy to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, you need to change. It's not easy to go to that mirror and say, you've got to stop blaming people for where you are in your life, and you've got to stop justifying what you're doing. You've got to stop stop judging other people and thinking it's them that has to change instead of you. It's, It's hard to do that. It's hard because pride's in the way. Our pride wants to make ourselves look good and put the problem on everybody else, but we come to this place of humbling ourselves and saying, God, it really is about me, and giving God an opportunity to convict our hearts because we're in that place of humility Isaiah 57, verse 15, tremendous passage. The high and lofty one, this is God who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I, I want you to listen to this, I recover, I restore, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with what kind of hearts? Repentant hearts. You need to listen. We need to listen to this again. God says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. If you can just get to a place of contriteness, that is being sorry for your sin and sorry for your ways that you've been out of line with God. I, I, I live with people like that. I come around people like that, and those who are contrite and humble. And then out of my presence in their life, I restore, I recover I restore the crushed spirit of the humble, and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. That's when we get to that place of laying the pride aside and say, God, it's not somebody else. It's me that stands in the need of your a prayer, that stands in the need of your grace, that stands in the need of your help. See, that's really what humility does, and we'll come back to this later. It puts us in a position to receive the grace that we need to, have, to make the changes that are necessary in our life because you and I can't make them by ourselves. And so humility positions us to receive the power of God's grace to do what we could not do, to change those things that we could not change. Number five, out of humility, we, this is how you repent, we confess our sins to God. 
confess our sins, say we own up to it. We just say, here it is, God. This, I'm just going to be honest with you about this is what I know to be true in my life, not justifying it. I'm going to be honest with you about what I know is, is, is contrary to what you want for my life. We know this verse well. I repeat it many, many times because it's a tremendously powerful verse. If we confess our sins, I love this. If we confess, we come to that place where we're broken and contrite and humble and willing to own up to God about the things that need to change in our life. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is where recovery starts happening in your life. See, this is why this is the entrance ramp to recovery because it's putting us in a position of getting back in alignment with God so he can work in our life. And so we confess our sins to God. And then we, number six, turn away from those sins. I love Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says, today God says, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make no, it's not a choice God makes. God's already made the choice to love you. God has already made the choice to do everything necessary for your salvation, to do everything necessary for your deliverance and recovery. God has done everything necessary. It's not, we're not waiting on God. He has given his, us his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died for our sins and rose from the grave to prove he was the son of God and invites us to, 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 to welcome him into our lives. So God has done all of his part, now it's our part. He says, I, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Whose choice is it? We have to make a choice. Oh, that you, here's the pleading of God, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. See, dear one, the choice that you and I make in terms of our relationship with God does not just affect us. It affects people coming behind us. When you and I choose life, when we choose to repent, when we choose to come to God His way and that pathway of repentance, then it's not only a blessing for us, but it's a blessing for those coming behind us. Think about your life right now. If you recovered in your life from some things that, that you need to recover from, certainly you would say it blessed me. It would be a blessing in your own personal life, but would it bless other people around you? Would it bless your kids and your kids' kids and your kids, 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 and generations to come? Could it have an impact upon your heritage? Of course it could. So your change is not only a change that's necessary to bring blessing to you, but as, as the scripture says here, to your descendants as well. Do you want recovery in your life? Do I want recovery in my life? If we do, we cannot bypass this continuing process of repentance. Let me mention one thing here before we conclude. Repentance is not a one-time thing in your life. When you begin to follow Jesus, you better get used to repenting because that's what it's all about, okay? Because he's going to take you from glory to glory, and the way he takes you from glory to glory is there's going to be something in between each glory. And what's between each glory is a pathway of repentance because you can't go from this glory to the next glory without some repentance happening in your life. And so repentance is not something that happens one time. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you just better get used to repenting because repenting is a part of the journey. It may feel like a, a tough part of the journey, 
but it's a tough part because it leads to blessing. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do because it puts you in a position to experience that next level of recovery that Jesus has in store for you. Remember, what is, recover, what is repentance? It's an awareness and a desire and a decision. Why? Because it aligns us with God and how? We just talked about it. That pathway of saying, God, I'm laying my blame, my judgment, my justifications. I'm laying it all down. I'm going to humble myself before you. Let the pride go and I'm going to confess my sin to you, Lord. As I do, I know I'm going to open up to your grace so I can turn away from the old. I can turn away from that which is destructive in my life toward the new. I'm going to go not back to just what was. Lord, I'm going back to better. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.